0: This is trey johnson and i'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching i pray that it empowers you encourages you and motivates you to know god and to be who he's created you to be i'm going to ask you for the next several minutes to give it your best as far as listening and i'm going to give my best and god always gives his best right And I want, as we we look into God's Word, you know, even when you're home and you're in your quiet time, when you hear something that maybe it goes against what what you thought or what you thought you believed about God, be willing to let go of what you thought you knew. Because the Spirit of God is still speaking and He'll always be in alignment with His Word. So no matter if it's, relationships or finances or destiny or whatever it is, you're always going to go back to what does God's Word say? Not does what some man say, not does what some preacher says. You know, it's important. We got to have the, the ministers and they should. we should be teaching the Word of God. Not our opinions, not our what, what, just what we learned from somebody else, but from the presence of God, right? We will be accountable for what we teach. And so as Heather and I travel all over, And I've been in this for quite some time now, and I continue to learn. And um, You know, my earthly dad is a good dad. And I'm, I'm a kind person. But if you were to come and start talking to me about my dad doing certain things that I knew were against his character, it wouldn't settle good with me. And as we are in different denominations and different, we we go all across the line and we we hear statements and we've even probably said them ourselves about God that it's not true. And it's important that we spend enough time learning God's Word to really learn who He is and learn what His character and nature is and that we have a part to play in our relationship with God. Okay, so you, you you got your catchers out. I'm not talking about the flaps on the side of your head either. I'm talking about listening with your with your spiritual heart. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter thirty, and you have the notes, but I'm just going to read because it was quite a few scriptures. And uh, like I say, if you see grammatical errors in my notes, man, get over it. Okay, I'm mean, <laughs> I'm trying to be a blessing to you and help you, so be merciful to me. Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verses uh, you. You can start in verse 11. I'm going to start in verse 15 just for time's sake. And it says, See, I've set before you this day life and good, death and evil. If, say if, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His ordinances, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land in which you go to possess. Pause for a moment. Did you know that God has a good plan for your life? and that He wants you and I to multiply. He wants us to increase. He wants us to walk in relationship with Him and to be the best us that we can be. Did you know that? Let's keep going. Verse 17, it says, "...but if your mind and heart turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish." And you shall not live long in the land which you pass over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Say, choose life. life. So you and I have a choice when it comes to whether we walk in the things of God or whether we don't walk in the things of God. How many of you here want to walk in the perfect will of God? Every one of us do, right? Even if we've lived most of our life not serving God, man, God will make up for lost time. That's how good He is. How many of you want to walk in the fullness of God's will financially? Every one of us. How many of you want to walk in the fullness of God relationally? Yes. Every one of us want to walk in the fullness of God in our physical bodies, right? In every area of our life, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. But we have a choice. So have a choice. Anywhere in the Bible where you see an if, that means there's a choice. If there was no if, then we wouldn't have a choice. So, so let's think about a few things that we've probably agreed with or we've heard. How many of you have heard God is in control? Of what? Everything. Everything. But is that actually true? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You can look at it in your own time. I didn't put it in there. It says that, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So whose responsibility is it to open the door? Ours. Ours, right? He knocks. It doesn't say... I'm going to blow that that door off the hinges. Whether you like it or not, buddy, I'm coming in. doesn't say that, does it? It says, behold, if you hear my voice and I'm knocking, whose responsibility is it to open the door? Say me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. This is on your notes. Remember whenever Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray? And you could probably repeat this with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? on earth as it is where? So why would He ask us to pray that His will was done on earth just like it is in heaven if His will was already being done on earth just like it was in heaven? He wouldn't, right? If His will, if He was in control of everything, if His will was already being done on earth as it is in heaven, He wouldn't ask us to pray that His will would be done on earth just like it is in heaven, would He? Psalms 115 verse 16 Says the heavens are the Lord's, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to who? The children of men. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So God is in control of everything. Let, let's pause for a moment, and I just want us, let's just start with you. Okay, so if God's in control of everything, you're telling me everything you thought yesterday, God was in control of that? Everything that came out of your mouth yesterday? No. (laughs) Whether you wore red underwear or green underwear, whether you had Raisin Bran or Special K, your attitude yesterday, you're telling me God was in control of that? Come on now. Or how about this? You might have heard, everything works out for good. You heard that one? When everything doesn't work out for good. That's a very specific group of people that God is talking about. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, He says, God works everything to good, for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So not everything works out for good for everybody. If you live like Bonnie and Clyde, it's not going to work out good for you. That's right. That's right. So God is not in control of everything. He wants to be in control of everything, but He said you and I to pray for His will to be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. In heaven. Pause for a moment. What's the crime rate in heaven right now? Zero. <laughs> How many tornadoes are taking out the throne room on the left side? Zero. How many hurricanes are flooding, flooding the, the throne room? Zero. How much disease is there? Zero. Anybody, any kids being killed? Ray no. Rape happening? Drug addiction? No. Oh my gosh, I don't know what happened. That angel's tweaking over there out of line. What happened? Ah, I thought he was in control. See, so a lot of things that we say we believe aren't actually, we don't really believe it. And that's where we've got to go back. Where's the scripture? What, what does God's word say about what we say we believe? See, the devil has done a really good job of confusing people. For us to think that God was behind the tornado, that God was behind the hurricane, that God was behind the flood, that God was behind the car wreck, that God was behind the sickness and disease. The enemy wants us to blame God for things we don't understand because it keeps us in a place of confusion. And if we are confused, and why would you really trust a God who took your baby? Why would you really trust a God who would put sickness on you? Why would you really trust a God that here comes a tornado? Uh, How about this one? Well, everything happens for a reason. You heard that one? Yeah, it does probably happen for a reason. It could be your dumb decision. That's right. You hear that? I mean, I can feel some sacred cows being rustling right now. You need to open the gate and let them out to pasture. Because in order for us to walk in the power of God, in order for us to walk in the things of God, we've got to see God correctly—not according to religion, not according to what Zama Zama Church said, or the first church of the Frigid Air, this guy with all these letters behind his name. What does God's Word say? And what is the character nature truly like? God's character nature truly like. Whew, we're having fun, aren't we? <laughs> Let's keep going. Luke chapter thirteen, and just for a few minutes here, this is I, I want us to I want us to have open ears and open heart. Luke thirteen, verses one and two, this is on the, the back side of the first page. It says There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and Je- Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Now, now, notice what happened in here. These guys were in the temple. They were sacrificing the blood sacrifices. They were crucifying, you know, cutting up the animals, everything, blood flowing. Well, Pilate sends his soldiers in and takes out the whole group of men. So these guys come and tell Jesus about it. In verse three, he says, I tell you no. Remember, he, he asked, do you think they're worse sinners than the other Galileans? And Jesus said, I say no. Say no. But then he goes on to say, and he says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Keep going, verse 4. And he says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and kid them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So notice he's saying this would be in today's term. So you're watching the news and this building collapses on 18 people and kills them. And most people, you've probably heard this before, must be judgment. Jesus said, do you think that those people are worse sinners than let's say you? Jesus says, I don't think so. He says, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. In other words, he's saying, and, and so let's... I'm just going to condense it here for time's sake. He says, I want you to understand because a lot of times we think that bad things happen because people are bad. But Jesus is saying that's not true. That yes, you keep sowing bad seeds, you're going to get a good, you're going to get a bad harvest. He says, but in reality, I want you to think differently. He says, unless you repent, you're going to perish also. How many of you have realized that we live in a cursed world? Bad things happen in this world, right? There's sickness, there's disease, there's rape, there's addiction. The list goes on and on, right? But is God in control of that? Shake your head. No, He is not. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth, He's given to who? Man. So the curse is on the earth because Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says sin means to miss the mark. Like if I was I was shooting an arrow, I would miss the mark. It says every one of us, when we come into this earth, we've missed the mark because of sin. And it says the reward of this sin is death. Death means separation from God. He says, but the gift of God... Is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He says, when you receive the gift of Jesus, you go from being separated from God to in relationship with God. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to think correctly. Unless you repent, you will perish just like they did. You'll be taken out too early just like they did. You'll be addicted just like they were. You'll, you'll, you'll run off the rails and your life will be destroyed just like theirs is. He says, unless you repent, repentance has had a negative connotation. Where when we talk about repentance, now stay with me here because I was going to go a different direction and I was flying home yesterday morning and this message is for us today right here. So I want you to have ears to hear. Say, have, the ears, to hear. have ears to hear. Repentance doesn't mean bawling and squalling and being religious. Come on. Now if you need to bawl and need to squall because you got to get your head out, then you go ahead and have at it. But the definition of repent in the Greek, when you, there's a lot of different words for the r- word repent. I have it here in your notes. It's, it means to change. Say change. It means to turn from something and turn to something else. It means a reversal. It means to regret with godly sorrow. So whenever he's saying repent, why is he saying repent? Why is he saying to turn from one thing and turn to something else? Why does he say you were going this direction but turn it, have a reversal and go the other direction? Because God wants us to walk in the fullness of God. God wants us to walk in the presence of God. God wants us to walk in the power of God. God wants us to walk in victory in every area of our life. But that doesn't happen by us being religious. It doesn't happen by us just wearing the Christian t-shirts and all that stuff is good. But power comes when we live a lifestyle that when we're going this way and God knocks whose responsibility is it to open the door ours we invite him in we involve him and then we turn and go the other way repentance isn't just a nonchalant like you're at the restaurant and you're looking at the menu and you start out thinking i think i'd like chicken you know i think chicken sounds good and the, the waitress comes and all of a sudden you say uh, no nah, i think i want a filet you just you just kind of uh, just change your mind a little bit uh, i think that sounds good true repentance isn't just uh, I think you'd be all right living for God. No, true repentance is I was going this way. But God, I invite you into my life and now I'm going this way. God, my family was going this way. I invite you into my life and now I want to go your way. My finances were going this way. But God, I invite you into my life and now I'm going that way. My destiny and purpose, it felt like it was a dead-end road. I was going this way, but I invite you into my life and now I want to go your way. Repentance means that you invite God in, and then you change. The Bible talks about the difference, and you can read it in your own time, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. It talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Now, 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 Paul is writing to the church at Corinth here, and they have, I mean, they have sons sleeping with the dad's wife. I mean, they have incest going on. I mean, they're just like us today. There's a lot of funny stuff happening. And so Paul writes him this letter. And he says, I can tell, kind of like this message that I'm preaching today, I can tell it disturbs some of you. I can, you should see from my perspective, some of you. Because I'm messing with your religion. God's, God's messing with the way, we'll, why do I think the way I think? Why do I believe that I believe? I always thought God was in control of everything. If He's in control of everything, He's doing a bad job. Amen? Amen. Amen. One thing I like about speaking to cowboys is because most of the time, I can tell some of you are sucking, you know, you're a little puckered up right now, but most of the time, cowboys tell me like it is, right? I was preaching in Montana uh, yesterday. I mean, these are some rough, tough guys, and they like it like it is. And I'm telling you what, they were so receptive, and there was 50 of them except the Lord. And it's time for you and I to be real with ourselves. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, judge ourselves." In other words, examine what we believe. Examine why we think the way we think. It says, and when we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. But Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, and he stirs them up. He says, I can tell some of you are a little ticked. Johnson paraphrase. I can tell some of you are a little upset about this. Some of you, you know, worldly sorrow is, oh, I got caught. You ever done that? You know, when he was a little kid or something like, oh, I got caught. I'm not really sorry. If I wouldn't have got caught, I'd still be doing it. Right. But he says, but then listen, listen, he says, then there's a true godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Then he says, there's the person at some point in time in your life, you open your heart to God and you invite him in and you change. You're not playing with it. You make a decision that goes from your head to your heart and you change. I remember this one time I gave this horse when I first gave my life to the Lord. I mean, I cussed this horse. I mean, <laughs> this horse ticked me off, sent me over the edge. And I created some new words. I mean, I, and then I look around. You could have heard of just a pin drop. Everybody just looking at me like, oh, my gosh, I, I've never heard those words before. But I remember in my heart making the decision. I'll never talk like that again in my life. And I was going one way, and I made a decision to go another way. I'm sure you have your story when you was going one way, but then you was headed another way. How about Paul on the road to Damascus? He was Saul, and this is a guy that was executing Christians. He was looking for Christians to put in jail. He was killing Christians, and he had an encounter with God. So five seconds earlier, he was breathing threats that he wanted to take out the Christians, and then he had an encounter with God, and it said for three days he couldn't see, and God did a work in his heart, and he went from one direction to the other direction. He went from tearing down people to building up the body of Christ. What is that called? It's called repentance. It's called change. It's called inviting God in. Now listen, because some of you need to invite God in in your marriage. Some of you need to invite God in your finances. Some of you need to, not just with your head, but with your heart, saying, I'm changing. I did act this way, but I'm going to change. And it's not, sometimes it's an overnight um, process, but then other times it's a journey. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. But what is God saying? That there is power in living a lifestyle where you just live it, where you're, you're repenting, where you're, you're willing to have an ear to hear. And when God says something to your heart, you go from this way to this way. You're willing to, when he knocks on your, knocks on your heart, whose job is it to open the door? Our job to open the door and you change. You go from to. See, God has always taken us from where we're at to where he wants us to be. He's always taken us from one place to the next place. We went from darkness to light. He wants to take us from sickness to health, from lack to provision, from defeat to victory. He wants to take us from one place to another place. But how do I experience that in my life? He says, live a repentant lifestyle. And repentance, once again, I'm trying to tear down that negative connotation we have about repentance. Repentance is simply I'm opening my heart and I'm willing to go a different direction. Acts chapter 8, and you can look at it in your own time for time's sake, Acts chapter 8, there was a a guy that was a magician. His name was Simon, and and Simon, he would razzle and dazzle everybody, and he was, I mean, they even thought that he was a god because all the, the, the tricks and stuff that he would do but then he saw the signs and he saw the power and he saw the miracles that Peter and James and John and the disciples were doing and he accepted the Lord. Philip was preaching, he accepted the Lord. And then the Bible says, because he saw something different in them. And then he was following them. And he'd hearing them preach, and then and then they begin to pray for people, and they laid their hands on people. And not only did they get saved, they begin to pray in other tongues. The Spirit of God filled them and overflowed their life, and they just begin to walk in the power of God. And he goes, "Hey guys, can I give you some money and pay pay for that? I need that in my life." Say dumb. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can be saved, but we can still make some dumb decisions. Because he he was new in his journey, he thought, boy, I gotta have that right there. Let me give you some money and we'll just and Peter and Peter got stern with him. Now listen. Peter got stern with him and he says, I see that your heart's not right. There's times that we need to be talking too stern. Just like kind of a mom and dad, you know that they love you, but there's times in order for you for it to register, there has to be a little bit of sternness involved. Parents, can I get an amen? Why? Because you want the best for them. You want them to be at the right place at the right time. You want to protect them. You want to direct them. And so Peter begins to correct him and he says, listen, I see that your heart is full of bitterness and full of unforgiveness. And unless you get that right, you're going to, you're, you're headed nowhere fast. I want to pause for a moment because there's some of you here that I know you're dealing with unforgiveness, not because we've talked, but I know it by the spirit of God on the inside of me. You're holding on to bitterness and that is an ugly thing. Some of you are mad at God. Because of what you've been told, some maybe preacher, some religious person told you, maybe somebody in your family, they got taken out at an early age and he just said, well, God's ways are mysterious. God has a reason. God is not in the baby killing business. God's not killing. He's not stealing. He's not destroying. And he's not going to start for you. God and the devil aren't working together as a team. 'Cause if they were, we we're done. We might as well just throw in the towel, right? But they're not. But God's saying, in order for me to show up in your life, you've got to invite me in. In order for me to put my super on your natural, you've got to invite me in. In order for me to reveal myself to you, you've got to be going this way. But be willing to go another way. Because when God speaks, it's always to bring life and life more abundantly. When God speaks, it's always to put us at the right place at the right time. When God speaks, it's always to change the way we think, which changes the way we believe, which will change our life. God is wanting us to walk in the power of God. He says, but it's going to take a repentant lifestyle. Repentance, once again, don't think negative, think it is an opportunity to walk in power. It's an opportunity to walk in victory. It's an opportunity to overcome. It's an opportunity for me to reach my destiny. It's an opportunity to know God more than I've ever known Him before in my life. Proverbs 29, verse 1 He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You know, listen. Everybody look up here for a moment. One thing I learned years ago is that most of my encounters with God, they're going to be corrective. Because He's perfect, and I'm not. But a lot of times when we play church... We want to bring God down to our level and make God okay with our lifestyle. God must think like I do. If He's smart, He thinks like I do. Now, we might not say that because that sounds just pretty dumb, right? But how we live our life and how we act, we think me and God, the way I think, that's the way God thinks. That's no, not so. It's a process, right? So, so whenever you're confronted... Listen, this is what happens. Either you receive the confrontation, you receive the correction, and you repent, you reverse, you change directions, or get that lockjaw, kind of see that bowing up, especially see this in cowboys a lot. That bowing up, you're stipping your neck, I'm not doing that. I don't care what you say, I'm not doing that. And if, and if you live a lifestyle where you're hard-hearted and you're stiff-necked, and religion will do that to you. I'm telling you what, I've seen religious mindsets kill more people than I have set them free. Where you just think, bless God, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. If everybody else was as smart as I would, they'd be living like me. There comes a time that if you don't change your heart and you don't change your mindset... It says destruction is going to come quickly. That's not God doing that to you. It's because of your choices and decisions. Hebrews chapter 4, listen, he says, if today you'll hear his voice and not harden your heart, you will enter in to the, to the promise and you'll enter into the next step, the next part of your relationship with God. How many of us have been going one way financially, one way in our marriage, one way in our destiny, one way in our way of thinking. But as I've been talking, things have been coming up in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, and He's wanting you to open the door and invite Him in because you know, just like He does, I need to go a different direction than the way that I've been going in my family, in my business, in my health. Second Timothy, and I'm getting ready to be done. It says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God will perhaps grant them repentance, say repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. He says, I'm praying and I'm coming in humility that those who are opposing God's word and God's will and God's ways, that if they will receive the correction, that they'll be delivered from the snare of the enemy. Listen, repentance frees you from the grips of the enemy. I want to say that again. Repentance frees you from the grips of the enemy. See, humility makes adjustments. Pride makes excuses. Pride says, I would do that, God, but I've got this going and that going. I would do this, God, but it's going to be too hard. I would do this, God, but I'll do it later. Pride resists. Humility Receives. Now, humility, that's another thing. We have a, a, a different mindset about humility. Humility is not, well, I'm just a weak sinner, saved by grace, bless God, and I'm not worthy of anything. I'm just an old worm. That's false humility. That's a sense of pride in itself. True humility is saying what God said about you. You know what God said about you? That you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what God said about you? You're the head and not the tail. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things to Christ who gives you strength. That you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. The greater one lives on the inside of you. And he has a great plan for your life. That's true humility. Humility makes adjustments. Pride makes excuses. How many more excuses are you going to give for not changing from this direction going this direction? How many more excuses are you going to give? How many more excuses are you going to give for not being the best you you can be? How many more excuses are you going to give for not being the man or the woman that you're called to be? Will we make mistakes? You better believe every day we're going to make mistakes, right? But go this way. When he knocks... Then go this way, and then the wholeness is there, the power there. I don't care how screwed up you are, how broken you are, how addicted you are, how messed up you are. God can take the brokest person who has an open heart, and His grace floods their world and completely change their life. I'm a living testimony. She's a living testimony. A lot of you are a living testimony. But it takes a lifestyle of God. When I hear this, I apologize. I'm going to go this way. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want to think about you to think about the excuses that you've been given for changing. It's too hard. What, what excuses have you been given for, for, for growing in your relationship with God? What excuses have you been given from developing that gift or talent? What excuses have you been given? Well, my husband does this and my wife does this. What excuses have you been given? And as we've been talking this morning, you've been hearing, you've been sensing the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart about your family, about your relationship, about your finances, about your future. How many of you have sensed, just with heads about eyes closed, how many of you have sensed just that knocking on your heart as we've been talking this morning? Just lift your hands. Yeah, almost every single one of us. Why? Because God loves us and God wants the best for us. And God wants us to come up and God wants us to walk in his power, in his will, in victory. He wants us to walk in wholeness, but we have got to let him in. God is in control when we give him control. God shows up and comes in when we let him in. Have you let Him into your family? Have you let Him into your finances? Have you let Him into your business? Have you let Him into your career? Have you invited Him in or have you been doing it all on your own? Well, He's knocking this morning and it's up to us to let Him in. Let Him in.